the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me when I, where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that he loved, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so I found that to be interesting, but I was thinking as I was watching that interview, and I honestly, sincerely mean this, uh, I really, there, there's no reason that I would merit a, a minute with Billy Graham, right? Like that would blow me away. But if I had an opportunity to sit down with Billy Graham, I would talk very little and I would listen a whole lot. Why? 98 years of walking with the Lord or however many, however old he was when he came to Christ, all those years of walking with the Lord and serving the Lord, I, I would just want to listen. Uh, what I want you to understand is when we get to John 15, 16, and 17, these are Jesus' final words. Much like whatever Billy Graham might say today, these are Jesus' final words before he is about to be arrested and unfairly tried. And the cat of nine tails is going to come down over his body and rip his body to shreds. Before the cross is about to go on his back and before he is going to be impaled on a cross and nails go in his wrist and go in his uh, feet, uh, Jesus talks. But this passage is interesting because in order for us to get John 17, uh, this isn't Last Supper conversation. This is Jesus praying and somebody somewhere eavesdropping. You've got to understand that somebody somewhere is listening to Jesus pray. Otherwise, we don't get John 17 because it's a prayer that he prayed to his father. So John heard. John, who writes this, is that disciple whom he termed himself as the one whom Jesus loved. John is the one on whom, uh, uh, who, who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder. He is the only disciple who made it to the cross. Judas died and the others fled in fear. John is the writer here. And so he hears this prayer. And in this final prayer that Jesus prays, it's interesting, he's not praying here for himself. He is praying here for John and Peter and Matthew and Thomas and also for you and for me. He's praying for us. Uh, listen in verse 20 and 21. I do not ask Jesus is praying to the Father for these only, for John and Peter, etc., the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us, you and me, 
that they may all be one, even as we are one, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays a prayer and in his very prayer commits to answering the very prayer he prays with three promises. Three promises that he is going to give so this prayer comes to fruition so that lost people all over the world will eventually come to him as they observe the oneness that we have been talking about now for 10 weeks here. Uh, What are those promises? Promise number one, Jesus gives you the Father's glory. Jesus gives you the Father's glory. And before you jump up and jump in line and say, hey, I think I want some of the Father's glory. Let's talk about what that looks like. This word glory is an interesting word. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around it. When he talks about it, he talks about revealing the character of God. And when we think glory, the way I can best understand this is, I've shared this with you before, is uh, is someone's glory is what they're known for. For example, if I say LeBron James, you say basketball. He's known for basketball. If I say Alabama, you say football. If I say Duke or Carolina, you say college basketball. Why? That's their glory. That's what they're known for. You, without thinking about it, perhaps have your own glory, your own knownness. That's what you're known for. The Old Testament word is weight. The weightiness of who you are is your glory. And so when we think glory, let's go into the Old Testament and let's find this. Just studied this this week in my Old Testament class at Montreat. But there are a few glimpses. They're rare in the Old Testament into the glory of Christ before he came as a baby. And Isaiah 6 is one such place. In Isaiah 6, God shows up to Isaiah in a moment of crisis. The long-reigning King Uzziah, king for 48 years, has died. Judah will be in turmoil. Isaiah is personally in turmoil. And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he cannot describe him. He can only describe the hem of his garment. His, the train of his robe, he said, filled the temple. And smoke fills the temple. And when it does, seraphim fly. They have six wings with two. They cover their eyes because they cannot look on the holiness of God. With two, they cover their feet because they cannot be exposed in the brightness of God. And with two, they fly. And these seraphim sing a song to God. 
And the song is holy, holy, holy. And as we discussed at Montre this week, uh, the, the reason they would say that three times is because the superlative doesn't exist in Hebrew. And so you have to, uh, you can't say greatest or holiest or best in Hebrew. You have to define that. And one of the ways that the Hebrew language does that is to put one word together three times. And so the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. And we hear that and we go, sign me up. I want that glory. But something happens when that glorious God comes into the birth canal of Mary and enters into humanity that glory gets marred it it gets distorted it it takes on human flesh no jesus doesn't sin philippians 2 says he empties himself of divine privilege and it becomes the glory of suffering the glory of suffering please hear me It is the suffering church, not the successful church, that shows the glory of God. It is the suffering church, not the successful church, that shows the glory of God. If we celebrate a successful church, we'll take credit for that. But when the church suffers, God's glory is seen. Paul touched on this in Colossians, a passage that if you're thinking this morning, ought to. To cause you to have a great question in your mind. Colossians 1 24 through 29. Paul says now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Here's the phrase that is difficult to grasp. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. He says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. I'm not going to read the rest of this passage. You can read it uh, on your own. But the question is, what was lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is Paul saying that Jesus didn't get the job finished on the cross? No, that's not what he's saying. Then what is lacking? Here's what John Piper has to say. He says he means that the one thing lacking in the sufferings of Christ is the offer of those sufferings in person to those for whom Jesus died. What does that mean? Here's what he means by this. Just a few weeks ago when she was able, Beverly Hollifield came into this very service. And while cancer was eating at this lining around her brain, She sat back there and sang the songs of God. What is that? Beverly is filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. If you want to see Christ on that Sunday, just turn and watch Beverly sing. Perhaps you're derided at work for your faith. Or your teammates say that you're an idiot. Or that the girl you had your eyes and heart set on says, Nah, 
Your faith is way too radical for me. When you suffer such, you show Christ to those people and you make up in your body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Your your wife says she's done. Your parents call you crazy for worshiping God. Your co-workers think that you're off your rocker. You make up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. You fulfill that. It doesn't end here, but I'm going to leave that for, for later. There's promise number two. You see, if you're going to share in Christ's sufferings, you cannot do that without the Father's love. Uh, the second promise, Jesus shows you the Father's love. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you only look at the cross, you won't think of God as very much a loving Father. Right. You, you look at the cross and you go, how could a loving God pour that kind of wrath out on his son? So Jesus gives us one of these rare glimpses into pre creation relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All right, so we're going to dive down deep for a little bit. If you're wandering off, get back with me for a moment. All right, since there were no human beings that existed then, we do not know what God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit did for all of eternity before us. We don't know the depth of love that they had between one another. But here, since John was eavesdropping in on this prayer, we get a glimpse because Jesus talks to his father about it. He talks to his father about it. And here is what he says. Verses 23 and 24. He says, I in them... And you, Father, in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. Look at this. Before the foundation of the world. Loved is used twice in past tense here. And Jesus is reflecting on a love between a daddy and his son, between a father and his son that existed before the foundation of the world. Now, if you've thought uh, this whole relationship of the Trinity, which boggles the mind, just in case it has never occurred to you, always In all times, the Father has been the Father and the Son has been the Son. And they've always been equally God. But there's been a daddy who's loved his boy. There's been a father who's loved his son. And a son who's loved his father. And a spirit who's loved the two of them. And the two of them who's loved the spirit. And this love relationship, this family like none other that you've ever experienced existed before there was ever uh, the creation of you or me, of Adam or Eve. Jesus shows you the father's love. I still, I can't grasp this. 
So every day I teach in the parable of the, in the chapel, the, the chapel of the prodigal in the basement. If you go upstairs, you'll see this fresco, this large painting of the prodigal son coming home. And as I thought, how might we see the father's love? Maybe we could listen into Jesus tell a story of the father. Because I am convinced as our commentators much smarter than I, that the story of the prodigal isn't the story of the prodigal. It's the story of the waiting father. I know you've heard the story, but maybe there's somebody who hasn't, or maybe you're kind of rusty on it. So let me share it with you. In the story of the prodigal, there's a boy and a younger and an older. And the younger decides he wants, he has wealthy, wealthy parents. And he decides he wants all of his inheritance now. So he goes to his dad and he says, dad, give me everything coming to me. And the dad reluctantly hands it over to him. And so as Jesus tells the story, the boy goes out and he wastes all of it in wild living He meets women, he parties, he has all the friends that you get when you have money and when you have women and when you have drugs and when you have the party scene. And he lives it up for a certain period of time until all of that runs out and the boy is without food and he ends up finding a job in a place that uh, Hebrews or Jews, they never would have worked. He works with pigs, pigs. Pigs are unclean animals if you are a Jew. And the boy finds himself working among the pigs. I grew up uh, on a farm and we slopped the pigs. It was everything we didn't want to eat. Went into the pig slop bucket and we would take it out and throw it in. And pigs will eat anything. And the boy finds himself eating the pig slop. Unclean food with unclean animals. Uh, We don't know how many days he ate pig slop until one day Jesus tells the story. The boy came to his senses and he said, why am I here? My father has hired servants who fare better than I do. He thinks up of a speech in his head. He'll go to the dad and he'll take this speech and he'll recite it to him. And he'll go home and he'll, he'll say, Dad, um, uh, uh, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so the boy finds his way headed back toward the father's house. And when he does... From a distance, the father sees him. And the father does what no respectable, wealthy Jewish man would do in his day. He runs. That was beneath aristocracy. That was beneath wealthy landowners to run. Uh, The father runs when he sees the son. And when he does, he, he, he falls on his boy. He wraps him up, Jesus says. This is the father, Jesus is saying to his audience, this is my dad. This is the father. And he wraps up the boy. And the boy begins his speech. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Therefore, I am no longer worthy. And, and, and the father cuts him off before the speech can ever end. 
And he turns and leaning over the balcony must be the servants and uh, standing out on the porch or other servants who are watching this unfold. And he says to them, go get the fattened calf. Go find the best rope, get sandals and put on this boy's feet, get a ring and put on his finger for this, my what servant? No, this, my son was dead, but he is alive. He was lost, but he is found. Amen. That's the father. So I want us to imagine for a moment, if we can wrap our minds and our hearts around this, if the father would love a a wayward son like that, how much more did he before all creation love his perfect, as John would say in chapter three, only begotten son. And that love, in verse 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We get that. We get that love. Wow. Wow. What a strong, strong love. Jesus goes on to say, promise number three, he reveals to you the Father's name. He prays, oh, righteous Father. Even though the world does not know you, (laughs) I do. I know you and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. These days we choose names for various reasons, right? For our children. But in those days, names were chosen to either represent what the child would become or who you knew that God had said the child would be. To know someone's name was to know all of that person. And when Jesus says, I will make known to them the Father's name, he's saying, I will reveal to them the very essence of who the Father is. Well, the Old Testament is replete with the names of God. Don't know if you've ever studied it, but these different names emerge. And I want to share just a few of them with you on the screen Elohim shows up in Genesis. Strong creator, when you are weak, he is Elohim. God Almighty, omnipotent El Shaddai. He is the God most high. Above all of your circumstances, he is. He is the uh, jealous God who longs for you with an incomprehensible love. He is the Lord God of truth in an age of cultural relativism. God is truth. He is your Lord, your boss in charge of your life. What you cannot see, God sees. He is the God who sees. He is the God who is there in the future that you have yet to see. He is the Lord of hosts 
the Lord of armies who fights for you, he is. He is the Lord who provides as he did Abraham on that mountain. He is Jehovah Jireh who will meet your needs. He is light. In the darkness of your life, Jesus is light. He is peace. When your world is unraveling and falling apart, he is peace. He is the Lord, your defense. When you have been unfairly treated, he comes to your defense and he is the Lord, your shepherd. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be with you. That is the God we serve. And Jesus says, I will make him known to you. I will make him known. We've seen the glory Jesus had before the foundation of the world. We've seen that glory personified in a suffering Savior. But what about verse 24? He says, Father, I desire. I want to pause for a moment. That word desire is not just want. It isn't wish. The word literally means, Father, I will. I will. This is my will that they also whom you have given me. Don't miss the love, the longing that Jesus has for you personally. May be with me where I am. May be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let's talk about this glory for a moment. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all with unveiled face. All right, so when Jesus came, he, he tore the veil down. He removed the veil and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, please hear me on this. This is sanctification in the highest theological description you will ever find. What is sanctification? You have this degree of glory. You know God a little better. He's revealed to you. You are in him. He is in you. And you have another degree of glory and another degree of glory. And you ought to be able to look at your life and go, I didn't quite know him this way a year ago. I didn't quite know him this way two years ago. One degree of glory to another transformed into the same image. For this comes from the Lord who is who? The spirit who lives in you. All right. John, who eavesdropped into Jesus' prayer. John, who laid his head over on Jesus' shoulder at the Last Supper, was exiled for his faith. On an island called Patmos, historians say that before he was, he was dropped into boiling oil. And somehow survived. And that when he writes the book of Revelation, he does so with a scarred hand and a scarred body. This John, 
who saw Jesus hanging, mangled on a tree, scarred, is on the island when he gets a vision. And in chapter 1 of the book of the Revelation of John, here's who he saw. Remember, this is Jesus' best friend, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Wow. But notice what the Christ swords. You've thought too little of him. You've lost sight of future glory. This is the prayer Jesus prayed. I want you to be with me where I am. And, And John is about to be with Christ where he is. He's near the end of his old aged life. Scholars say he's in his 80s or 70s when he writes the book of the Revelation. And he gets a glimpse of the risen, transformed, glorious Christ. And he says, I wanted to fall at his feet as though dead but he turned to me and he put his right hand on me saying fear not i am the what church say it loud i am the what before the creation of the world (laughs) you're seeing my glory that i had with the father now john i am the first and i am the last and the living one i died And behold, I am alive. How long? Forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. We're going to stand and sing the song you sang a moment ago. But would you see the glory future? Would you see the glory future? Let's worship him together.